Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow and have the wonderful privilege to meet with a great friend today, Darren Lifford. And I'm just so excited to discuss these great concepts with him and to learn even more from him and to share his voice because he's been a wonderful friend and mentor of mine. And I love being able to share those great inspirations in my life with all of you. Well, Darren has been with Caterpillar for 20 years in a variety of positions all around the world. He was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and he continues to try to get me to move to Tennessee, which he's almost got me convinced. He's a big Tennessee volunteer. I cannot say that I'll depart my LSU lovings, but we can agree to disagree on that one. But we're both big New Orleans Saints fans, and he loves the outdoors. And he didn't add this to his bio, but I'll tell you, he actually makes his own backpacks, his own hammocks. If you ever were out in a survival situation, Darren is the guy that you would want with you. So welcome, Darren. Glad to have you today. Thanks, Keith. Great to be with you. You said a lot of nice things. Thanks for lying about me. I appreciate that. Makes me (laughs) sound a lot better than I really am. (laughs) Yeah, Darren's one of those guys that he real good at getting people to think they're doing all the good work when he's really a great inspiration. So this will be the one day of the year that I'm nice to Darren. So you better relish it. (laughs) Appreciate that. At least I get one day out of the year. That's that's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to have Darren is always pushing me. And there's people in my life that I feel that were placed in my life to always push me a little bit further and to keep me humble at the same time. And Darren's been a great resource in both of those. He's quick to get me to volunteer for things that I might not wanted to volunteer for, but then he's also quick to point out how I did so bad at it that maybe I shouldn't volunteer (laughs) the next time. (laughs) You know, in most people that might not work, but Darren knows me well enough to know that I am competitive enough that pushes me to go back and work even harder on the practice field. So in one of these instances, Darren does a ton of marathon and a bunch of different events. And he got this harebrained idea that we needed to all do a triathlon together. And I've never done a triathlon. I think the idea of spending my own hard-earned money to enter a race seems ludicrous most of the time. I like to work out quite a bit, but I don't usually like to pay for my workouts and things like that. But Darren convinced me and another good friend, Tom Trithal, which Tom, I think he was part of the, the bandwagon with Darren to convince me that they needed a swimmer for their triathlon team. And I love to swim. So they thought I was a good fit. And Darren was the runner and Tom was the cyclist. And I remember after we'd signed up, I was like, what did I just agree to? Like, why did I do this? And I even remember we're there and I'm still like, why am I doing this triathlon? And I love to swim, but I'd never done competition swimming in that manner. And so I enter the water and I'm just getting kicked all around, like from the, the group start. And then there's jellyfish everywhere. They're stinging me like crazy. And it was wonderful because it really pushed me beyond what I, my normal capacity. And I probably would have never volunteered for that had you not encouraged me. And so I really appreciate that. And one thing I got out of it is that even when all those things are happening, when you're getting kicked, you're getting stung by jellyfish. I just had to remind myself, remember your form, remember your technique, just focus on your strokes, focus on your kicking, just get back to the basics. And in those moments of life's chaos, sometimes it can be helpful to remember what we know well and go back to those. So as those kicks come and those stings come, you're not getting thrown all around. And I wonder, you seem to have developed great habits in doing this, really developing ways to ground yourself, even when life's tough. And how do you do that? How do you help encourage other people as you're inviting them to take on challenges like you did to me? So first off, thanks for actually being a part of the team. I I think Tom, he had had surgery, he had back surgery 
And so he was coming into it kind of like a wounded duck and I can't swim to save my life. So I, I, but I knew you could swim. So I appreciate you picking that up, but it was just a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of crazy. Uh, you, you ran right into the ocean. This is, this is in, uh, I think near Pensacola and you ran right in and I heard people screaming because of the jellyfish. It was like jellyfish mating season or something like that. So yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy, but uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. I maybe getting back to your point though, it's, I've tried to live my life with as simple as possible. I try not to get too complicated in, in a lot of things. And your thought there about when you got into the water, when things were kind of crazy, kicks and jellyfish and getting back to the basics, that's kind of like for me, there's only a few things that I want to do kind of every single day to make sure that I'm kind of grounded and I'm moving in the right direction. You know, I'm, I'm a religious person and you are too, and we're, we're, we're kind of like brothers like that. But, you know, having a faith, having um, some time to, to pray and meditate, read scripture each day, spending time with the people that are most important, you know, having family around, close friends around, those are things that really help me be grounded. And my employees, you know, I, I've, I've talked about this for a long time. It's, it's really kind of doing a, almost a gut check every day where you look at what's my calendar look like? And am I really spending my time on the things that are most important? Or am I just kind of like making it through the day? So taking some time every day, looking at your calendar, looking at the major things you want to get done and making sure you're aligned with that. So really at the end of the day, if, you've, if you're doing those things where, you know, you're, you're keeping yourself with your faith and with your family and the most important things with whatever your career or profession or education is, you're going to feel pretty good about life. And uh, that's, that's something for me at the end of each day, I can kind of wrap up the day and think about it and, and feel pretty proud of if I've kind of lived true to those things. Yeah, wonderful. I, I like that comment. And I really like how you talk about doing your own gut check. And I want to talk a little bit more about what steps you take to build it, you know, your own personal rituals to do a gut check. And then also, how do you help other people do a gut check? You know, sometimes human nature is, is that we seek out people we know that are going to like our ideas or support our ideas. But oftentimes where we get the real benefit is when we come to people that are going to challenge our ideas a little bit, help us make them even better or grow or find our blind spots. And so as you do your own gut checks and help other people do gut checks, how do you both make yourself a person people want to go to and also someone that's going to push them a little bit further each time? Yeah. And those gut checks, they can be quite uncomfortable, honestly. Everybody's different and everybody goes through kind of like chapters of their lives or phases of their life. What I have found with specifically with my employees is setting aside time periodic time to do kind of one-on-ones where it's just the two of us. And we talk about how they're progressing. We talk about their career. We talk about their aspirations. A lot of the time, it's just talking about what's going on personally, getting to know them and spending the time to really know them as a person. And then when you're in those positions, it's really easy to help them have those good quality gut checks or really, you know, kind of self-assessments because they know me, I know them. It's coming from a good place. I'm not just the boss trying to be mean or, or just trying to you know, get more productivity out of them. It's really, I want them to be successful. And part of that is understanding where they're at, where they might be failing a little bit and where I can kind of help them see a bigger picture, maybe see opportunities for growth that they may, may not see at that time. And then and kind of challenging them and offering help or resources in areas that they need some assistance at that time. 
Yeah, fantastic. And what do you do when someone might not follow through with that self-assessment or might not make the progress they need to make or, you know, they, they hit this plateau and maybe sometimes they might not be the right fit for your organization. They might need to move in a different direction or they just need a little boost over the plateau. And sometimes recognizing, you know, whether they need to move on completely in a different direction or they just need that boost can be hard to differentiate. So how do you take those and make them applicable to the people in your organization so that you can bring out the best of all the people in your organization? That's a really great uh, question, Keith. And and I had a, a CEO previously who he would use the metaphor of you're on the bus and, and as a leader, you're kind of driving the bus, but you need to have the right people on that bus. And if you have the wrong people on the bus, it's better to stop, let them off and get the right people on. That can be really, really uncomfortable a lot of the times. Most of the time, it's not like, let me, let me boot you out of my organization. But, um, I, I did have an experience where I had a great employee, probably the best at what he was doing, but he was chronically unreliable. And I coached him multiple times that like, hey, look, these are the things you need to improve on. And he just did not get through it. He, I think he had that, that mentality that like, hey, I'm the best you know, you need me more than I need you. And we came to the head and I was like, look, if, if this happens again, you know, the performance is, is continuing, we're going to have to have, uh, you know, a serious heart to heart about you staying with the company or not. And we had that discussion. He said he was going to improve. He didn't. The next week, same thing happens. And so we, I had to let him go. And it was one of those, it was a really messy situation where he was very angry, very emotional about it. And it was strange because I thought I had been this whole time letting him know, this is serious. You need to improve. This is serious. You need to improve. He never clued into it. And then um, when it came time, he was really, really angry about it. And so I felt bad. He felt bad. It, it It was a nasty thing. He came back about a quarter later, three or four months later, and he really thanked me for letting him go because it was the wake-up call that he needed. And he ended up kind of using it as a stepping stone for more development into a different position. That It was something he wanted to do, but he just had never had anyone kick him in the butt to make him do it. And so that was, it was a really great experience in the end, very emotional in the middle and, and not fun at all, but it, it, we both kind of ended up in the right space in the end. Yeah, thanks for that story. I think that's a great illustration of how oftentimes many of us like to live in the comfort zone, but sometimes the comfort zone can be debilitating to us in our growth and the growth of our organizations and the growth of the people around us. And especially if we're building up bigger and bigger blind spots, because if we get in this mindset of I'm doing great work and nobody can really replace me, you know, that's where we can really push people away, even if those things are true, even if we're the best of the best and we're doing work that nobody could possibly replicate. If we are living the way that we are telling everyone that we're going to alienate people from our organization, we're going to alienate people from our teams. And so, you know, helping people realize that and build those soft skills, if you will, or social cues and different ways to work with the team can be just as valuable. And especially when we're talking about servant leadership and how to build a team that really calls upon the best of all individuals. Sometimes what individuals need is to be told, all right, the bus is stopping. It's time to get off now because you're hurting the rest of the team. And I think it's admirable that you took a skilled employee and did that with, because sometimes we allow these 
toxic employees to stick around, not saying that this individual is toxic, but kind of furthering the discussion. We, we allow toxic employees to stick around our organizations because they're good at something, but the damage they do far outweighs the, what they're bringing to the team. Because if we really sit back and look at how they're hurting the, the productivity of all the other team members, we'll start to see that whatever they're doing isn't necessarily as good as we think it is because everyone else is suffering from it. And we will eventually lose quality team members because they just don't want to put up with that. So I really admire that you, I think more people need to take those steps to address people that are not performing to the standard of whatever the organization is. And so I think of a story of when, you know, some of my favorite leaders, not in the time when they did it, but now as I look back on my life and in the rear view mirror and through that 2020 vision, some of my favorite leaders are leaders that challenged me. Yeah. I think too often we, especially those of us that want to be good servant leaders, we think that we we naturally equate servant leadership with being nice and cordial and friendly. And I think those are aspects of it, but there's a time when you need to challenge individuals, you need to have uncomfortable conversations with them. And so do you have any examples of people in your life that helped you develop these skills that I know you're good at it. You have these conversations. You pushed me and we're just friends. So I know you're capable of it. So how did you develop these skills over your life? I've been really, really lucky and blessed in my life in, and with having a lot of good coaches, mentors, managers, leaders who have really challenged me and made me feel uncomfortable quite a bit. I'll start out with like when I was in kindergarten, my principal came and met with us as new kindergartners and talking about, you know, welcome to the school and all that fun stuff. And he had, he had been a farmer, had four of his fingers cut off in one of his hands. So he only had a thumb remaining on his hand. And he said, kids, I guess, students, I went through all my uh, undergraduate schooling and I only missed one day of school. So he held up his one thumb that he had. And for kindergartners, we saw he's missing all of his fingers. And it was like, ooh, ah, he's missing fingers. Anybody had his one thumb and he's like, I only missed one day of school. And I'm going to challenge you as kindergartners to uh, go through all of your undergraduate, you know, and graduate from high school with no missing no days of school. And as a, as a five-year-old kindergartner, I'm like, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. And I did it. So I graduated. When I graduated from high school, I had never missed a day of school and I got an award for it and all this fun stuff. It was not easy. It was really hard to not miss a day of school for all those years. But it, And so he had basically challenged me and I made the commitment. And I stuck to it. And that was really cool. I have a coach in when I was in seventh and eighth grade in wrestling. And he had coached my older brothers. I've come, I come from a great big family of wrestlers. And I was a scrawny kid. I think I was in the 87 pound weight class. Little itty bitty, you know, barely, barely you know, just there's no meat on the bone on, on me at the time. But, uh, and he had challenged me. He's like, I know you have brothers who have been really good wrestlers. You're pretty scrawny, but if you work hard, and he kind of laid out the steps that I would have to take. He's like, if you work hard, you're going you're gonna to do something. I could, you know, I have some potential at least. And uh, one of the things he's like, you got to run more, you got to build up your muscle, you're gonna have to lose, lift weights. And he's like, if you show up early and leave later than everybody else at practice, you're going to be better. By the end of the two years that he was my coach, I had won the MVP two years in a row. And in my eighth grade year, I could, I, I was thinking, I think I was like 93 pounds at that point. I could pin everybody on my team, even the heavyweights. And it, and it wasn't because I was some 
awesome athlete. That wasn't it. But it was him challenging me to work harder and learn and do better. And then um, I had, I'll I'll kind of wrap this kind of part up with two stories. One is I had two different managers that personality wise, we didn't get along that well. They had very different interests, kind of different, different places in our career. And so it, it wasn't like people I'd like, Hey, let's go hang out. Right. And so for me, it was already kind of a, just a, the, the relationship wasn't, it was fine, it, but it wasn't just, it wasn't great. And I, I always want to have great relationships with my immediate manager and my employees, but both of them, what I found was because they were not like me uh, in a lot of ways, what they were asking me to do were things that were uncomfortable. It was things that they, you know, they, they saw that I needed to improve on and they were comfortable telling me what I needed to change. And both of them, I, I felt pressure. I felt uncomfortable. I felt like they were asking me things that I, I didn't have the ability or capability of doing, but both of them actually gave me opportunities to kind of stretch and they were supportive. You know, even, even though it wasn't the greatest relationship, both were supportive, both challenged me. And in the end, I really excelled under their leadership I look back, you know, very fondly on those kind of challenging times I had, you know, those were early on in my career. I look back now and I'm using those same kind of techniques with my employees where I try to open up their vision of what they can be or what they could be if they do certain things and then allowing them to have the challenging opportunities to kind of work through that and build the muscle in those areas um, and then it kind of goes back to having kind of those one-on-one discussions with them where I help them see maybe some of the blind spots or things that they can improve upon and then helping them with the resources to, to be successful. And so I, your point about it's not really, it's not just like making them feel good and making it easy and, and you know, and, and those things as a servant leader, it's really, it's really helping them find the opportunities, be challenged and grow. Yeah, I love how you referenced in kindergarten, you have this story of someone who shared a challenge with you, a very specific challenge, which I'll add, I think gives it power having that specificity to it, but that you remember it all these years later in your life. And that just shows the impact. And, you know, that's the, I think what we as servant leaders, we want to make people feel good, but sometimes the way to make them feel good is to help them accept a challenge and rise to that challenge. That's where the real true good feeling comes from. It's not just from a superficial feeling of a pat on the back. It's really helping them believe in themselves. That next step, I think is even more powerful than realizing that we believe in them. And sometimes don't get me wrong. They have to know that we believe in them first so that they can then take that on, but it's very powerful to then take them to that next level to help them believe in themselves. And I just love how your stories talked about that. And even your wrestling coach gave you the steps. So I love how the first example gives you a challenge The second example, you have this coach who gave you the steps to meet a a different challenge. And then in the last one, what I really like about those last stories that you shared is we all want people to like us. We want to be liked. We want to like everyone in the world. Oftentimes we meet people that we're just very different from. And sometimes we can overcome those differences. Sometimes we learn to be cordial and sometimes we just don't like each other. We just have different interests. We just don't get along. And and that's okay. We don't have to like everyone, even though we might want to. But in a professional setting, we need to learn to be productive together and to be respectful. And I love how your example speaks to that. But 
I also wonder what advice do you have to people if they're in a situation where they just don't get along with the people, how do you still bring out the best in one another? So I've, I've had folks in my career and throughout my life that I just can't work with, no matter how much we both kind of try to figure that out. So there is an option of just finding a better fit. You know, let's, let's agree to disagree and you move on and I'll move on and we'll do something different. That's a real option. And it's probably not your first option, but if, if you've exhausted all other options, that's perfectly acceptable. But it's, it is pretty uncomfortable to do that. And, and, but once you make that realization, it's actually, it's kind of liberating. They're like, okay, look, this isn't going to work. Let's move on. I think about some divorces where, and divorce is always, it's usually a terrible thing for most people, but sometimes it's the right thing. Like two people, sometimes they just are not going to work it out. It's not, you know, they're just incompatible and whatever was there to bring the marriage together, it's gone, long gone, and, and issues have arisen. So sometimes that can be a really liberating thing. I actually have a a friend who went through a divorce and it was terrible for years, but he's at the point where he's much, much happier now on the flip side. And so that can be the right thing now. But going back to a comment you had earlier, it's, we do want people to like us. We want things to be kind of happy. We want to be able to like pat people on the back and, and motivate them in, in kind of like the motivational poster type silliness and or like the, the motivational cat posters. And it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not real life. And I think the minute you kind of like separate that fake or, or false narrative and go, look, we're both real. This is a real world. Here's the issues. And you kind of lay things on the table. Uh, we had a, a leader at our company who talks about putting on a fish on the table. It's like once a lot of times if you have fish on your table that's rotting, everyone's going to know there's a stench there. Right. But until you actually take it up and put it on the table and do something about it, like what are we going to do about this rotting fish? You know, we got to get it out of the house. Right. But a lot of times people just ignore all the bad stuff. They just let that fish rot under the table for a long, long time before you want to actually bring it up, put it on the table and, and do something. But I think when you, if you're meeting with people at a real level and you're getting to know them at a real level, these conversations are so much easier. And it's, is there, is there a fit problem here? And if there's a fit problem, what can we do to make it better? Like you and me, I'm the leader, you're an employee. What can we do together to make this better? And if we can't, then it's, let's figure out a different, in different options for you. And, and to be quite frank, like in our society, like where we live in, in the United States right now, you have so many options. There's, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of benefit to staying in a, in a position that's a, the wrong fit long-term. If you can't fix it or you can't like get the relationships to work, there's too many other options to, to sit around and just kind of be miserable in that uh, regards. Now, that's not the same everywhere. Like I've worked in a lot of different countries and sometimes you are very limited. And a lot of it comes down to, we talked about it earlier. I've, I've done quite a few marathons, half marathons, adventure racing. Sometimes it's mile 18 and it's 90 degrees and you're dehydrated and your muscles are cramping and you're climbing a hill and you have to go to the bathroom. It's like, sometimes it's terrible, right? but you just have to keep going. And, and that's the right answer sometimes is just keep going. Put one step in front of the other until you can find that bathroom and then get some water, eat a banana, and then you know, get, back on, get back on the course. And so it's, it's painful, but sometimes that's the right answer. Thanks for that answer. And kind of combining your previous answer about your wrestling coach and giving you steps to take, 
I'm guessing that you didn't take all those steps at once. You kind of broke it down and took step by step. And then with your marathon analogy, you know, you address one problem at a time. You know, you addressed a lot of reasons you were uncomfortable in that mile 18, but you know, you find a bathroom first, then you do this or you do that. And I think sometimes we think that we have to make this wholesale change or everything has to be how we want it right now, when often there's probably one thing we can do about a situation at the moment. And if we do that one thing, we can alleviate some of that stress or burden. And that can be challenging to figure out what that one thing is. And is there anything that you do to help you prioritize in those times of discomfort, what the most important thing is to focus on? Yeah. And and your point there is really well taken. I, I grew up in a family of 10 kids and you could imagine how chaotic a home would be with 10 kids. And I wanted to do well in school. So I had to figure out a way of kind of getting the clutter and the distractions out of my way and focusing on studying to do well. So what I would do is I would go into my bedroom and I would shut the door. Sometimes I'd put on headphones and then I would study. So you kind of block out the other things and just ignore all of the chaos going around you just so you can focus um, nowadays, we are so distracted on all the time, Like right? You have, your phone is buzzing you, your, your, I'm sorry, your watch, your phone, your computer, you know, the, your, your ring, your, you know, Amazon, Google Home, everything's telling you something all the time. And then the ability to kind of like push through that and focus on one thing at a time is critical to success in life. I, I also think, I mentioned it earlier, when you do your, like an, on a daily basis in the morning, you focus on what do I need to get done today? Like, what's the most important thing for me to do today? Don't worry about too much about the next day or a month or two years. You can, you can do like strategic planning or tactical planning later, but each day kind of fix one thing I can do. And by the end of the day, if I've gotten this done, I am moving towards my, you know, my, my wigs or my, my most important goals. And I'm, I'm getting towards, you know, success, whatever that is defined by you. Yeah. I love it. We, it was last Sunday had a discussion in church and our priesthood quorum about a recent address given about the story was given in this address. I'm just trying to remember who said it, but I can't, I'll, I'll share it in the show notes, but there was the story was given of that. He talked about when he was learning to drive this brother, he was talking about when he was learning to drive, he was kind of swerving all over the place and his dad kind of stopped him. He said, what, what are you doing? What are you looking at? And he said, well, I'm looking at the hood of the car. And he goes, yeah, if you only look at the hood of the car, you're never going to drive straight. So if you're only looking right in front of you, you're never going to drive straight. But if you look way down there and pick something to focus on, you'll be able to drive straight all the time. And some other stories were shared with these group of people that I really respect. And they talk about different ways that they kind of focus on, you know, down the way to help them get through some of those tough times because it helps to have a focus to go straight at your path. And, you know, oftentimes our path isn't straight, but at least we can take the most direct path if we have a clear cut vision. And I wonder, you've been very successful in your career. Did your career develop the way you envisioned it? Or did you have different things that helped you kind of move through those diverging paths that came up as you went throughout your career? So um, I'm going to answer your question uh, in two ways. First, I'm going to say that's that's a crazy story uh, that you just talked about from uh, your church group talking because the person who gave that address was Alvin Meredith and and Alvin Meredith was my neighbor growing up. I actually got chicken pox from him when I was a kid. Like when I was like 
you know, before I went to kindergarten and I knew him when I was a kid, but then when we moved to Singapore for my job, he moved in about a year after we did and we were neighbors in Singapore. So we were neighbors in Nashville, Tennessee, and then neighbors in Singapore and like his kids and my kids are like really good friends. So it's just it's strange that you you referenced that uh, that address in the in this podcast today. But uh, he's a great guy, and it, yeah, it's absolutely a great story about you know basically focusing down the road, not like in the immediate, like right in front of you. Your question about my career. So, I, like I said, I've been really really lucky and really blessed, kind of for my career, and I, I've moved around quite a bit with the company. I think as of right now, I've lived in eight different homes and had it's either 18 or 19 different managers in 20 years. Started in Nashville, moved to Fort Lauderdale, um, moved to New Orleans where you and I were friends for a few years. I think we were down there about five years, then moved to Singapore for five years and then Bangkok for a couple of years. And then we've been back in Nashville for a few years. So it's been a, a really exciting career. I had no idea that it would be like this. And I, I think part of it is, uh, being open to opportunities when they when they arise, even if the timing might be off. Now, I do have to say, I had a, a, another manager young, when I was early in my career, and he, as, as an exercise for one of our team meetings, he's like, I want you to kind of map out what um, how you would become the CEO of the company, like w- what positions you think you would need to hold to become the CEO. And I've been, I think I've been with the company a few years, like maybe two or three years. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be CEO of the company. Why is he making us do this? But what it did is it made me think about like for my career, what were the steps I would need to take if I wanted to to be an executive in the company? Very few people become the CEO. A lot of people though are senior managers or, you know, leaders of departments. And so I, it made me think, I was like, well, I'm going to need cross-functional experience. I'm going to need, you know, I need to, I need some financing background. I need some credit background. I need some customer service background. You know, I need sales background, marketing. And it started making me think, okay, these are all the things that I need to do in my career if I want to be a senior leader. And it really kind of made me open my vision of what could the possibilities be instead of, as I was hired on, I was hired on as a credit analyst. And like, well, maybe I'll just spend my entire career in credit, you know, because that's what I can see in front of me. And uh, he was basically gave us an opportunity to see a much bigger view of where our careers could go. And I I thought that was a really great exercise. I do think careers are things that are, they're very, very rarely linear. You know, I have a lot of friends who have been with Cat for, and Cat's a company, it's a fantastic company. If you ever get a chance to work for Cat, you should, but it's a company where people stay for 30, 35 years and you have an enormous amount of opportunity to do different things. And your careers often look like spaghetti. You know, it's, it's moving this way for a little bit. You might have a lateral, you might go down a salary grade, you might go up to salary grade. And it depends on what the opportunities are for you, what you're prepared for and what the company needs are and what the market conditions are. So there's all these variables. And so you need to be open to like, I'm open to change. But so saying that, that's kind of how my career has, has turned out. It's all over the board, a lot of different really neat things. But I know some folks who've been in accounting their whole career and they've been happy, you know, they make a good living. They, you know, they have a good work-life balance and they're experts. And if that's what you want to do, that's okay. Right. That's it's, everyone's kind of different. There's no right or wrong to what your career does, but I'm just saying for me, it's been a really neat experience to have 
uh, these re really great opportunities. I have six kids. They've grown up all over the world. They speak multiple languages. They've, you know, we've walked on the Great Wall of China and we've been in Australia and been in all, all over the place. It's been just an amazing family experience to have these growth opportunities. But uh, I think just being open to opportunities when they come has, has been really a, a great thing for my career. Yeah, and I should preface uh, the talk that I was referencing in a was in a in a worldwide church broadcast. So Darren could have not known that I was going to choose that. So what an interesting connection. And you know, sometimes it reminds us how small the world is and how we truly are connected to more people than we realize through the influences of the lives we touch. And so with that thought, I want to leave this week's challenge with think about where you're aiming right now. What is your long-term range? Are you looking at the hood of your future? Or are you looking downrange? And really think about, are you aiming where you want to aim? And then once you've thought about yourself, think about the people you influence, whether it's your family, the people you work with, the people you lead, or the people that lead you. And where are you helping them aim their future as well? Are they, are you real short-sighted and looking at the hood of your car? Are you aiming in a positive direction way down range? And with that, I had, I know Darren's story a little bit, and I know that he has a great level of international experience, but I really love the reason you chose to study international business. And so as I think about people who had a good aiming post from the start, your reason for international business, I feel like aimed you towards a servant leader minded future in a wider scale. And so I would love to hear you talk to our listeners about that decision to study that. Sure. So I wanted to, it sounds really lofty and, and I'm not really like kind of a lofty person. I wanted world peace. And I, I knew that if countries were relying on each other or interdependent upon each other for trade, that it's rare that countries actually go to war with each other if they need each other. And so I studied international business management and then from University of Tennessee and got an MBA from Auburn University. And the, my intention was to make sure that countries played nice with each other. And um, I, I've seen the devastation of war. I, I've seen that throughout the history of our country and countries around the world. I, I remember being in Cambodia and seeing the devastation that war brought you know, 20, 30 years ago and how it's still impacting that population. And I, I just, I hate war and I, I'd love for you know, countries to play nice with each other. And that's you know one of the main reasons that I I wanted to go into international business management was to to kind of help facilitate that in, in my small way. I love that answer. I think it just provides such a foundational definition of servant leadership altogether. The more we are integrated and involved and rely upon one another, the less conflict we have. The more we understand each other, the more we are willing to work together towards a common goal. And even when we have competing interests, we understand each other and those interests so much better that we know where our intersections are and where we can meet along the path and where we can work together and facilitate better relationships. And in the end, what my vision of the world is, is to help us all truly desire to bring out the best in one another to the best of our abilities, which then in turn, logically speaking, if we're bringing out the best of all the people around us, we have to be bringing out the best in our organizations. It's just one of those things has to follow the other. And so I love that answer. 
I've really enjoyed having you on today. Darren truly is like a brother to me. And I just, I love him. I love your example. And I'm glad I could share that in a small way. So as we wrap today, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with today, Darren? Appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast with you, Keith. And, uh, and yeah, we are brothers and we have been for years and it's, it's great to, to challenge each other a little bit and have a, have a good time. And it's been great just kind of catching up with you. I guess maybe one last thing. And I, I see, um, I look at my dad, he's almost 80. And he's been just an amazing example of someone who's given service like his entire life. And I don't know anybody that doesn't look at my dad more. He's kind of like a celebrity. He's, uh, he's, you know, worked in scouting for 50 years. He raised 10 kids with my mom. He's still at 80. He's still running chainsaws during hurricane and tornado relief. Uh, He's still helping people fix their cars. And he's just such an example of someone who's been kind of a servant leader his whole life. But the thing that really is awesome is the joy I see in him from being a servant leader. And it's something that I aspire to, to have that level of joy in my life because he's doing the right thing by helping others and and helping others be the best they can be. Yeah, I love it. And I had the wonderful, wonderful opportunity to labor alongside Darren's dad during Hurricane Ida relief. And just not only does he just get after it, but he's always happy about it, like Darren said, and just always love. And he would sit there and sharpen all of our chainsaws to keep us working. And at one point, I I wanted to be discouraged because usually when I go to sharpen my chainsaw, it gives me a minute to take a break in those hot, (laughs) humid, you know, Southern days, but he was so efficient. I never got to take any breaks (laughs) because there was always another chainsaw ready to go. But, you know, you look at him and he's so happy. I couldn't be discouraged. I'm like, all right, I got to get after it. His dad's killing it. So, and I'll tell you, I, I wasn't even thinking about Hurricane Ida until you just mentioned it. So I want to share a story because Darren brought you know, a big portion of his family down. He says he had grew up 10 kids. He's one of 10 kids, brought a bunch of his siblings down, his dad. And, and he came down and I was really working in the Roseland and Amit, Louisiana community where I do a, a lot of church service. And I had very limited people to work with me and help me in some areas. And Darren brought his family down and really just helped me over a weekend. And we helped a lot of families do a lot. We did a lot of good and made some, some great, impact on people that really didn't have any support. And it was wonderful to be a part of, but we had this situation where we had a lady who there was two families living on the same property and they were all related. And one of the ladies was in a wheelchair. She'd had a a surgery go bad and was paralyzed from the waist down. And, but her, her home was damaged completely. And so it was unlivable. And so they needed to take the wheelchair ramp and move it to the other property so she could get in and out of her house. And we all we knew this was a problem. We didn't know what we were going to do about it. Supplies were limited. There wasn't, still wasn't power in a lot of places. And we just came together and just with the right people and a little bit of the Lord's good blessings. And we somehow built a wheelchair ramp for this family. And, and some days we're doing amazing things for other people. We're helping them get into their own house with a ramp. We're helping them when they can't help themselves. Some days they're helping us. But in all things servant leadership, we're always looking to bring out the best in others so that they can bring out the best in us. And I just have to say that, you know, Darren's family, not just Darren's a great example of that. And I have, I think that there's opportunities all around us that if we just look for them, we can have these wonderful blessings in our lives of feeling the joy that comes from helping people believe in themselves, as we talked about earlier. 
So that was, thanks. that was a great experience, Keith. Yeah. And I, I, that, that's one I'll treasure the rest of my life. That was a really one, really good one. Yeah, me too. And I, I'm glad you reminded me of it. I wasn't thinking about it when we did record. So yeah, glad we could share that with all of you. And I really am super grateful for all of you that listen. And so thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership and have a wonderful day.